Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 146 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is November 29th, 2010. We've got a good show for you this week on the podcast. We're moved to Monday, so we're going to move things around a little bit, at least for now. We're going to try the podcast out on Mondays instead of Wednesdays and we'll do our uscfootball.com TV show on Wednesday evening. So we'll get two different ways you can... Uh, Hear about what's going on with the team, one on the podcast version, the audio version like this, and then a, a TV one that we broadcast on Ustream, and you can check those both out on peristylepodcast.com. Uh, we're going to talk to Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment, and I'm kind of fired up to get him a little earlier in the week to see what happens. So maybe some of the uh, creative juices from his brain haven't like uh, settled down yet. We'll get to some real unabated opinions here from Coach Harvey Hyde like we always do. Coach, what's going on? Ryan, I'll tell you what. Uh, Mondays are a good day to do the show because I think it sort of kicks off the week as far as the, the game on Saturday plus, you know, the game this coming Saturday, which is a one-game season also against UCLA and a very important game as Notre Dame was, as all the games are. And and uh, I think Monday's a good idea. If it's easier for you and your television production that you do on campus at USC, then you know I'll... Do whatever it takes to, to, to do what you want me to do, and that's give my opinions on what I think's happening with the USC football program or whatever questions that our callers call in and ask me. Well, we appreciate it, Coach, and thanks for being uh, flexible on that. And wanted to thank, uh, thank you, but also thank Southern California Tickets, uh, setickets.com, 1-800-888-7287 is their phone number if you need tickets for anything coming up plays concerts good good idea to get some gifts for your loved ones if you want to get a a play or anything like that musical something for your wife girlfriend fiance whatever stuff like that's fun of course usc plays ucla there's also usc basketball games and everything coming up so lots of stuff you can do with sctickets.com especially for the holidays it's cyber monday coach i don't know if i will have to check i should have called sc tickets see if they're doing any deals on cyber monday everyone goes on online today at work while they're at work and buys buys their gifts for the ho- the holiday season. Well, I hope they do, and I uh, hope they get what they want because they're giving everyone the opinion that everything's going fast. But uh, I don't know if everything's going fast. Maybe everything's going cheap. Yeah. I don't know if it's going <laughs> fast. But uh, if you can get something for someone, don't wait around. Get it now because it's important that if you have someone out there that needs somebody something that's very special, like a quarterback or running back, a couple <laughs> offensive tackles, I'd get online right away to try to pick those up. Yeah, I think yeah, maybe Lane Kiffin can get on the horn for that one too. Um, we're gonna we have a bunch of questions to get to. We, since we moved the podcast up, we probably have a, few, a less a few uh, fewer questions, uh, a couple less questions than we would normally have. So we're gonna let people know they can send in their questions over the weekend, and we'll put them up on Monday for the podcast. But you can always email us podcast at uscfootball dot com or call us two zero six eight eight eight. 6755 is the phone number. You can call and leave a voicemail, and we can play your voicemail on the air and answer your questions or react to your comments, whatever you do. So, again, it's podcast at usafootball.com 
or call us at 206-888-6755. Before we get to those questions, Coach, um, if people haven't checked out the uh, Monday morning or the Sunday, was it what do they call it, the Sunday Sunday brunch, uh, Trojan brunch, uh, right. where you're down in Manhattan Beach and you do a, a couple hour show from there, getting your reactions and stuff. Maybe you kind of give a brief summary of uh, what you guys talked about on that Sunday brunch after that pretty tough loss to, to Notre Dame. Well, basically, it was a difficult show because uh, I hate to do shows uh, after a very disappointing performance and. Yet you have to come on the air and you have to give everybody your opinion of, of what you saw and what you thought was good or what you thought was negative or what happened during that ball game. And, you know, I thought that the defense played well enough to win that football game. Whenever you have or give your offense four turnovers, you're going to win a football game. And not only give a turnover, but give a turnover or four turnovers in uh, their field position, almost in the red zone. Yet again, when I saw that on one situation – uh, you know, you don't, not on one, but the one that they came up with a touchdown on, the other were field goals, is it took them four downs from the two-yard line and barely got in on a quarterback seat to get the ball in the end zone. I mean, uh, that's a lack of offense uh, and a lack of, lack of I, I don't know, toughness or whatever you want to call it, a goal line offense or what, what is necessary to win big football games. I think that the offense the past two weeks have been uh, has been just shut down completely. They scored six points against Oregon State. They scored six points now against Notre Dame. And Notre Dame is not a good football team. Notre Dame is a so-so football team, and they made USC look like a so-so football team. It looked as though both teams were trying not to lose rather than win. And, uh, you know, you've got to be explosive. You've got to stay open. You've got to establish some form of offense that you can rely on so that you can take uh, what they're taking away from you and utilize that as far as trying to uh, create a big play. And SC just doesn't get any big plays. They have big playmakers, but their big playmakers aren't making big plays. And it seems as though since Arizona started it by taking away the short passing game, which has been the key now to USC's passing game, all those bubble screens and quick hitches and nothing to the tight end or backs. Uh, anytime they throw to a back, he's wide open. They threw to Havili in this game, and he caught it and ran for 30 yards, but they never ran it, ran it again. They threw to Tyler five times in the Arizona game, I think it was, and he caught one and made a great run for a touchdown. The tight end is not involved at all in the game, so they're not worried about the middle of the field at all. Anytime they've thrown to the deep middle, guys have been wide open. Ron Johnson on one against um, Arizona that they missed and another one this week that he dropped. But that's because Johnson dropped that pass isn't the reason why USC lost because there was a lot of passes that were dropped, four or five passes that were dropped, and that's this lack of concentration. And you've got to really concentrate to catch a football. You can't run before a catch a football, and that's just part of being intent and ready to play. Uh, I, I can't say they weren't ready to play, but I haven't seen them play at the same vigor that I saw them play in the early parts of the season against Stanford and other teams when they played hard all the way to the last play, even though they lost. I, I, the last two games, I haven't seen that same intensity on both sides of the football. Yet, you know, they slowed down Notre Dame, but Notre Dame's not a great offensive football team to brag about slowing down. I mean, they have a freshman quarterback who – Really, their quarterback is playing, but they don't have anybody else. 
So, you know, uh, it, it, it's a great accomplishment whenever you get four turnovers. Don't get me wrong, but slowing down Notre Dame isn't something that you have a parade about. So, you know, I just thought overall the SC does not playing up to what type of football they should be playing up to. I think the final drive of the game, they had decided they weren't going to put it on Tommy Reese. They weren't going to uh, – he had had four turnovers and so on and throw an interception. They were going to put – they're big back in, which they did Hughes, and it was pouring rain at that time. And they were going to drive the football and play smash-mouth football. I think on the first play of that drive or second play, they threw the ball once. But they, in seven plays, went 77 yards with Hughes running the football, and nothing was adjusted to. Like, if you're going to run the football and you know they're running Hughes with the football, put eight guys, nine guys in the box, play bump outside, put your big receivers on the two receivers or try to play some type of man and say, okay, they're going to beat us with the pass because they've decided they're going to run the football. Or try to stop them on first down or second down to make it a third and ten. But they didn't do that, and the kid drove down the field. Let's give him credit. They pounded it and went down. They stripped the ball once. It didn't come out in bounds. They didn't get the football. And Notre Dame wins the game. I, I really thought when it was 16-13 with 6.25 to go, that uh, they had won the football game. I really thought they had won the football game. In fact, one of the announcers on the TV said, well, that looks like that'll do it. And uh, because of the way the offense of Notre Dame was playing and the way defensively uh, USC was somewhat controlling the game. They really were. But that wasn't the story. And they came back. And I would just like to see offensively and defensively a personality or identity of who you are and what you're trying to accomplish on the offensive side of the football. If it's smash mouth, like Wisconsin does, that's the old way FC used to win. Hey, here we come, student body right, student body left. Okay, and if you if you stop that, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And of course, increase the passing game. And don't think Wisconsin can't throw the football. They can. But they're scoring 60, 70, 80 points a game. Why? Because people don't, they're not accustomed to stopping the run like this. Big offensive linemen, smash mouth backs, and they just run it over and over and over. Maybe five plays. How many plays does Oregon run? Five plays. (laughs) How many plays does Stanford run? Five plays. But they run them well. What I see at SC, I see 25 formations. And the, it, you jump around, the first four plays of the game were passes. Then they went to the Wildcat. Then they did the Wildcat with Baxter. Then they did the Wildcat with Tyler and Mustaine as a receiver. I mean, you know, what, what, are, what is the identity of this team? What must, what are we offensively? And I think that's what I'm trying to find out. And I think that's what the team is trying to to do is look they had, they had what six illegal procedures five four six they're beating themselves four of what four of 17 third down conversions i mean a lot of those aren't like third down and two they're third down and 10 or whatever because they've had penalties so you know i think you've got to keep it more simpler you've got to use your athletic ability against other teams and you've got to use where you have dominant players your playmakers, when's the last time there was a big play? When's the last time someone went 70 yards on a pass or 
65 yards in a run or, or something like I, I can't remember. I, re, I really can't remember. I know that there in the Arizona been, yeah. State game, huh? It just really hasn't been, especially the running plays. I mean, they haven't taken a lot of shots downfield, which aren't high percentage. You take a few more shots, you'll make a few. But, man, no one can break a run and, and get out for 30 yards or something. It just hasn't happened. Well, they don't live and die with something. What I mean by that, it isn't like, hey, you're going to have to stop our student body right, or you're going to have to stop our off-tackle play. And if you stop our off-tackle play, we're going to run the bootleg tight end, break the tight end, run a post corner and run an out with the receiver on that side. And if that's not good enough, we're going to run the streak with the outside receiver and run it back in the flat. Or we're going to do this, or we're going to do that, or we're going to run the reverse, or whatever. But right now you don't see enough of the same play to know what to come off of to try to say, if you can stop this, then we're going to do that. It's sort of like chess, if you want me to tell you the, the truth. But again, he has his philosophy. It is his football team. What he chooses to do is, of course, he's going to do, and uh, all we can do is discuss it, and it's only my opinion. It's only my opinion. All right, Coach. Well, let's get to some of these questions. Uh, we have a voicemail question. This is uh, from... Our friend Greg, and uh, he's referring to uh, Lane Kiffin had a conference call yesterday and pointed out a couple of things. One, um, Notre Dame scored all their points in the last two and a half minutes of each half. So 55 minutes of the game, Notre Dame didn't score, and they scored in the last two and a half minutes. And this happened to USC you know, against Stanford. It's happened against Washington as well. And they, other games, even when they won, they've given up points late in the game. And Kiffin had a, a funny quote where he was like, he thinks that this could be the worst two-minute defense in college football history. And uh, I don't think you get a lot of USC fans that would argue with that. But here's, uh, here's Greg's question. Hey, anyway, I got a question for you regarding um, the, the points that Notre Dame was able to score against SC. I read in the papers today, Coach Kiffin stated that uh, most of the points, if not all of them, were scored in the last two and a half minutes of each half. Um, looks like Monty is uh, fulfilling one of Einstein's most famous quotes, and that is um, re- doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, is basically the definition of insanity. Um, it seems to me that uh, that's what's happening, and that the prevent defense doesn't prevent anything other than from us not being able to prevent them or the opposition from scoring. Uh, Coach Hyde, what do you what do you make about that? And uh, thank you very much. And uh, golf, hey, hey uh, Ryan, how's your golf game? Hope all is well. Bye. Ryan, do you want to answer answer your part of that question first? Uh, golf game hasn't been uh, it's, it hasn't been great. <laughs> I played actually once with Greg before, a real nice guy. So I appreciate him <laughs> calling in. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, uh, if you look at the team, yes, you'd have to say that this is the if team. If it has any identity, this is the if team. If we were able to stop Washington, we'd have won. If we were able to stop Stanford with a minute and 16 seconds left, we'd have won. If we were able to stop Notre Dame, we'd have won. Now, there's 10 games right there that you've won, 10-game season, if you'd, have won, if you'd have been able to do that. So it's sort of the, the identity of this team is if, if we'd have done this, if we'd have done that, but that doesn't work. Uh, I agree with you. The prevent prevent defense in in most situations backfires a lot of times because 
if, if you have a great uh, quarterback and, and confidence, you're leaving a lot of holes. You're allowing them to catch the ball in front of you and make big plays. If you miss a tackle, then it becomes a bigger play and it stops the clock when they move the chains and, and all of the above. Uh, Notre Dame, and, and, and a lot of times when I coached, I'm going to tell you, if we were playing really well on defense and we were running our basic stuff, I would say don't go to any pre-event, just play our regular defense, and uh, we'll get after it. Now, that cost me a game at Wisconsin once because we played our regular defense, and I didn't tell him not to blitz, and we blitzed. It was third down and 19, you won't believe this. On the 17-yard line, we blitzed. They hit a trap. The guy ran 80 yards. The guy ran 80 yards. We ran him down on about the six-yard line. They lined up and kicked the field goal. Can you believe that? And we lost at Wisconsin when you're that way. So uh, it's there, there, it's damned if you do and damned if you don't. Uh, if the prevent defense works, it's great. If it doesn't work, it's the worst. Uh, I, I like it's it's really the the situation you're in and what you it's a gut feeling of what you think you should do. If they don't have a th- a throwing quarterback, then I just play my regular defense. If they have a great guy playing the a quarterback and he can throw the ball well and he can, he's got the ability to go uh, 80 yards in, in two minutes or a minute and a half, then doggone, I wouldn't give him the holes. I, I mean, I'd have to get up and jam him and play their best receivers and because they're going to beat you if you give him that time to throw the ball in the holes. They're going to beat you. They're going to get down there, especially if they only need a field goal. They're going to get in field goal range, three first downs, they're going to be in field goal range. So it's the time and situation and the team you're playing and so on, I think the, against Notre Dame, I don't know. I couldn't see if they were playing a prevent. I don't think they were because they were running the game. But I'd have really got up there. I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'd have got up there and put eight in the box when they were running the ball every time. And then I'd just I'd try to tackle that big, that big running back because that's what beat them. That's what they decided to do in the rain to beat USC, and it worked. They went right down the field. It looked like almost they weren't playing defense. Their tackling was terrible. It looked like they were out of gas. The linemen were standing up. There was no penetration whatsoever. Tackling was poor. People were not wrapping up. It was it was it was a, it was a, a bad scene. If you were to cut that out in a segment, that you'd say this is the way you're not supposed to do it. Uh, so I, I just don't think that they have the confidence in the defense as far as stopping people at that time. That's why they really don't know what to do because they've lost games in the last two and a half minutes. Uh, Floyd, a, a great receiver, I couldn't understand at times how they were playing him on that touchdown pass he caught down there. Actually, Glippo had him when he did that quick curl into the inside. Uh, I'd have bumped him on the, on, on, the, on the line of scrimmage when they only had two yards or three yards to go, whatever that was. I forget what it was, and they threw that hook to him right over the, uh, the line, the touchdown line there, end zone line, and Glippo just couldn't get his hand in there and knock it down or get him. So, you know, it's hard to say what's best after you lose. So, yes, there's times to use the prevent, and there's times definitely not to use the prevent. When it works, yes. When it doesn't, no. But sometimes you're just better off if you're playing well, and they were playing well in some game just to play your regular regular, regular defense and, and hope for the best. Um, okay, Jamal has a question, too. He listened to the podcast last week, and he liked the point that you made about the defensive backs. And he thinks that you always make great points about the team's performance. 
and not playing sound and basic football. But he wants to know why isn't that being told to Lane Kiffin and why isn't he changing it? And, you know, I just, <laughs> it's funny, you know, coaches have their own egos. They have their own philosophies. Just because we're talking about it doesn't mean it's definitely the right thing to do. But maybe, you know, being a former coach, Coach Hyde, maybe you kind of make some comments about that. Well, you know, uh, I don't sit in the staff meeting, so I don't know what the game plans are. All I uh, comment on is what I see. And uh, you would think that, you know, if you're getting beat by something or you, if so on, you're, you're going to make some adjustments. Like, I can't understand why you line up five yards off when the ball's in the five-yard line. And when you backpedal, you can't even get to the guy who catches the ball. It's a touchdown. I mean, you've got to come up and bump the guy so that he can't, you know, he can't, maybe he can run a fade route, but that's a hard route to call, throw, and then just play off in the end zone. Or if it's third down and three yards to go or four yards to go, what are you doing playing seven yards off? So, I mean, you're giving him too big of a cushion. They just drive off, turn around, catch the ball, first down. It's like playing catch. So, uh, I don't know. It's a philosophy sometimes of let them catch the ball in front of me. We make the tackle. The farther they have to drive, uh, the more chance there is for them to make a mistake uh, uh, or an interception or something. And, and, and it's just very difficult. Why it doesn't get back to Coach Kiffin is he knows football. He's got a, a plan. Uh, I don't understand the techniques sometimes that people are teaching, and that's what's bothered me as far as their man coverage when their defensive backs don't really look for the ball. And sometimes when they're outmatched as far as Roby's covering Floyd, I mean, here's a guy that's 5'9", covering a guy 6'3". I mean, why? that's why in basketball they got centers don't play guards and guards don't play center. It's just a mismatch. And I think that it's very difficult to ask someone to cover someone who's a great receiver when he's just outside. That's why they have a heavy heavyweight division in boxing and they got a welterweight division. And I think it's the same thing in football. But, of course, uh, they're very thin now in the secondary. I thought two guys that played a great game was the walk-on guy. What's his name, Burnett? Or Tony Burnett, yeah. Got. he uh, Boy, Out of nowhere, played 30, great. Yeah, they, they, yeah, he had ten tackles. Ten tackles. He came in, he was flying all over the field, playing great. And I think that Bingham kid played a great game. Number 30, he's flying all over the field, making tackles and so on. So, you know, you know, it's not just one thing. That's the problem. Uh, it's a pass here and a missed tackle there or a field position. And, and this week, the offensive player of the week, if I have to pick an offensive player of the week, you'd say it's Joe Houston. Scored nine points, three for three, kick like an All-American. Uh, it just doesn't seem like everything happens the same game. And uh, I think you've got to make it simpler, and I think you've got to have an identity. And currently right now, if you ask me what is the USC's offense, I'd say I don't know. Yeah, Coach, I agree. And that, uh, maybe from a coaching perspective, you can help this with me. There's... You mentioned adjustments before, and I think this has come up uh, a number of times. Do coaches kind of get into, like, this is what my plan is, and I don't want to get away from it? Because you could see on offense, the last two weeks, or you could say two and a half games, teams have stacked the line of scrimmage. And we talked about this last week on the podcast. 
And USC likes to throw the ball near the line of scrimmage. And once you see defenses starting to do that, you would think you'd want to make an adjustment and kind of be able to to do something else, to stretch the defense out. Not just once and get away from it and hope that the defense is going to respond to that, but actually consistently like, you're going to stack the box, we're going to throw these slants over the middle, or we're going to throw these fade routes, whatever it is. Same thing on defense. When the defense was dropping back into coverage and linebackers were dropping back into coverage, doing well, picking off passes and disrupting the passing game for Notre Dame, Notre Dame switches up. They make an adjustment. They start power running, and USC kept kept their linebackers back in coverage, and they, were, they weren't responding to that. I mean, it seems like the lack of adjustments, that's definitely a big difference from what we saw in the Pete Carroll era because that, that seemed to be one of his strengths as a coach, a game day coach, making adjustments during a game. Well, you have to. I, I, like I mentioned, uh, it's like playing chess, but see what, what becomes very difficult offensively. Unless you set in one or two formations and you see what someone's trying to do, you can't, you can't make adjustments, but you don't run the plays enough out of one set or, or maybe have four or five plays that you have reverses, you have play-action pass, you have traps, you run, you run your sweep, and then you run the belly up the middle, you run a quick trap up the middle that they're going to flow out of there, they're, they're penetrating too much yet, or you run a draw, or if they stop your draw, then you fake the draw and you throw the, the ball to your, your tight end because the linebackers are stepping up and stopping your draw or whatever. I mean, you have something to counteract what someone's doing. And when you do so many different things, you don't get in a pattern of what you can see or what you should do. It's almost like playing, uh, playing. oh, I think I'll run this play. Okay, that play doesn't work. Okay, I'm going to run this one this time. Or let me try this. Rather than to have fewer plays, execute them better, and then be able to know if you block me in this that I can do that. And I think sometimes it makes it very difficult for your team to get a feel also of what you're trying to accomplish on offense. And it gets them more or less flustered and so on. And, and uh, you know, like, like maybe let me give you an example. Like, let's say it's a goal line situation or short yardage situation. Well, you could say breaker. I used to call it breaker formation. That's when my three tight ends go into the game or even a tackle at tight end. My my fullback becomes a tackle or a guard or a linebacker. Stanford does it with their linebacker. He goes a fullback, okay? And you get two tight ends and so on with maybe one receiver just to keep them honest out there, and you run the off-tackle play. And if the end crashes down, fullback cuts the, cuts the defensive end, guard sees that, pulls outside, picks up the force. You come around the corner there, and, and it's you break it. You run it out, outside or inside. Or you run a trap straight up the middle with the big fullback. Or you, you, you play action pass with it. You come around, play action pass in the flat, or you throw it to the tight end on a bootleg on a drag. Or the backside tight end blocks, falls down like he missed his block, gets back up and runs to the corner because the safety leaves him or the corner leaves him and you throw him the ball. I mean, there, there's a philosophy behind what you're trying to do on short yardage. When I watch him line up, and run, they're a zone blocking team, which means they just come out and pick up the guy in the back, supposed to, you know, find the open area. But down on the goal line, you can't block zone. Guys down in their, you know, hands and knees, and they're coming across the line of scrimmage, and you, and you don't get any push. 
So you got to be able to, to have a little finesse on the goal line and be able to hit the weaknesses of what a goal line defense is. And I don't see like a, a breaker situation. I don't see a philosophy of our identity as, hey, when we get into breaker, that means you're not going to stop us. When it's first down on the two-yard line after recovery, we're going into the end zone. I want you to know that we're going into the end zone one way or another. And, and I think you have to have a philosophy that your kids believe and you practice it enough and then you know what to, you even know when the coach is going to say. You start to get up and get ready to go into game when you see that situation happen. So I don't see that, and and uh, it, it's just very, very difficult. On, on, on defense, guys, sometimes I just think it's lack of personnel. Uh, I'm not saying that I'm not going to pick any position when I say that. I just don't see when I watch him closely in the defensive line and so on. I don't see the push. I don't see the penetration. I don't see USC playing on their side of the line of scrimmage. Uh, I don't see losses uh, on runs. It, when it happens, everybody goes, wow. I mean, that's something when you're better, you do all the time. So I don't see that type of football. All right, Coach. Well, wasn't the uh, most upbeat podcast. We try to be a little positive, but there's obviously some – some issues with this team now looking forward to UCLA. Well, it's tough. It's, Brian, it's tough to be positive. Yeah. When you lose a game that's a rivalry game and a team that you expect to win. I predicted on the pregame show that SC would win because of their team speed and they would put the players in a position where they can take advantage of Notre Dame. Okay? And I didn't see that happen. And, and when, that, when that happens, you get very, I don't know what you call it, uh, you listen to Lane Kiffin's post-game interview. The guy's hurting. He's bleeding internally because he knows exactly what happened. Now, if he is bleeding that hard, everyone's bleeding that hard. You know, I think it's the toughest time to be interviewed, even interviewing players after a game like that. And sometimes these people that interview them have no feeling. Well, why did you lose? How do you feel about the? How do you feel about Johnson dropping that pass? Oh, I'm all excited about it. I mean, what do you expect the player to say? Uh, Johnson's a great kid. He's given us a hundred percent. It wasn't that one play they lost the game. Yeah, they might have been able to pull it out if he caught it. But you know, there's more to one play in the game. And uh, sometimes put these kids on the spot. They're 18, 19-year-old kids playing their tail off and so on. It's very difficult, very difficult on everyone, including us and including our listeners and everybody else. But uh, that's what this great game is about and what's so great about it. you got a chance to redeem yourself this coming weekend. And I'm going to tell you something, Brian. This weekend's game is something you live with the entire off season. South Bend, those people, they're, they're way back in South Bend. Way up the, the fans are all over town, and they'll be able to brag this entire year about the victory. But these other people live in L.A. So I'm just telling you, and they believe they can beat USC now. So this is going to be a very important game for both programs. A lot of pressure has been, been put on New Heights. But make some coaching changes. Do this. Do that. And a lot of people now are looking at SC's program saying, what's wrong? What's going on here? So whoever wins this football game on Saturday is going to be very important to their program. That's what I'm going to say. And recruiting, too. Because uh, kids want to go where you win. 
I want you to know that kids want to go where you win, and you've got to give them that thought that you got a chance to win big because they all want to go to bowl games. Okay, buddy. All right, Coach. We appreciate it. We went a little long, but I think I thought it was going to go a little long today because of the subject matter. But we appreciate you uh, coming on, Coach, and we'll talk to you next week. And thank you very much. I want to say hello to my friend in America, Samoa. I'll tell you, a guy came up to me at the game Saturday and said, listen to the podcast on USCfootball.com. Last week I was in America, Samoa. And oh, I want you to know Barry that Markowitz. is absolutely true. Huh? Barry Markowitz. That, you're exactly right. I wasn't <laughs> going to give his identity away. But, oh, I'm uh, sorry. Okay. I, didn't, I thought maybe someone was looking for him. No. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, but that's exactly who it was. Uh-huh. It really was. And uh, it's great to have listeners like that, and we thank you for listening. Sweet. All right. Shout out to Barry and Coach U2. Everyone else, back in 30 seconds, we're going to talk to Dan Weber about what's been going on with the team and coming looking forward to practice this week. Stay tuned. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We're joined by Dan Weber, uscfootball.com beat writer. He was up there in the press box for this game against Notre Dame. Dan, how are you doing today? Hey, pretty good, Ryan. And we yeah, finished up down on the field, actually, too, in the in the nice, uh, nice rain, which actually... Uh, uh, and I think we were surprised. Uh, the rain actually warmed it up a little bit. It was colder <laughs> before it started raining. I think maybe um, uh, the wind uh, died down a little bit with the rain. So, uh, you know, the rain wasn't as bad as it probably looked like it was going to be. And actually both teams uh, moved the ball, and, you know, didn't, it wasn't so obvious at, at the end there that that, that was, a, that was a, a big factor. Yeah, I mean, it was. And, you know, I, I was curious because you got to hear – Lane Kiffin after the game, you got to hear Lane Kiffin on his conference call yesterday, and uh, a lot of the concerns that we've seen on the message boards, obviously, is a conservative offense, and Kiffin basically came out and said that he felt that was the best way to to win with the weather, even though the weather really didn't affect the first half when he was more con- <laughs> you know, more conservative of what's going uh, on. And uh, what, yeah, what did you I, make uh, of that? I think I'm, I'm not, I'm, uh, unlike anybody else, I, I just, and I asked the question last night on the conference call when the decision was made to go to the uh, conservative, you know, game plan. For example, I don't think we saw preparation for a conservative game plan. I don't think that was the week's preparation. Now, obviously, we didn't see Thursday's practice uh, because of uh, a revelation in a story of uh, game strategy on offense uh, uh, by somebody who, you know, probably wish they hadn't, hadn't done it. But uh, I, I was stunned that they went into a game thinking, A, going conservative is the way to go. I don't know that I can recall uh, 
and if you look over the past 10 years, eight years, nine years, whatever, conservative game plans have produced uh, probably more upsets than, uh, than wins for USC football. Uh, I think one of the things that happens, and, and I think this has been a consistent um, feature, is if you go conservative with these kids, I think what that tells these kids is we're better than this team. We just can't blow it. I don't know that that's the way to get a team. And we look back in the past with the conservative, the success of conservative game plans, though, let's say two or three straight times in Corvallis, Oregon. Uh, you know, those kinds of Stanford at home a few years ago. Uh, uh, the result of a conservative game plan, by, you know, for a USC team is usually uh, a defeat. Uh, it's hard to get kids, I think, really motivated if you're telling them we can beat them just doing this stuff uh, and you don't go out there with all guns blazing. I thought they were going to, you know, not so much. I mean, they, you know, they didn't, you know, line up right behind this, it, but it looked like they were, you know, the way they were practicing that that's what they were doing. Uh, I know some of our posters seem to have misread, for example, or misstate what Miss does well. But they were talking about things like, uh, you know, he looked confused or he looked like his feet were a problem or whatever, you know, or, or they were worried about him throwing the ball down the field. I mean, just from watching him all these years, the thing Miss does well, he's got good feet, got quick feet. He doesn't seem to get flustered all that much. Uh, and he throws the ball down the field really well, as he showed on the last drill or last uh, possession where they don't have any time to do anything else. Uh, he will find people, and he will get the ball to them. Uh, to start the game with a couple of, you know, mid to short passes, all three passes, but I thought they were all really difficult throws out to the side under coverage. And not something that we normally see that much of. I thought, you know, they started off very oddly. I, I was shocked at the first three plays they ran, at the nature of them. And then at, after the game to find out, no, we decided to turn the game over to our special teams and our defense, which, as Lane described last night, that's a defense that has set the college uh, record of college football history for giving up the most points at the end of each half. I'm sorry. How do you turn a game over to a defense that's setting the record in your own mind for the, giving up the most points at the end of uh, at the end of each half in college football history? I mean, <laughs> well, I, you can the say, hey, uh, it won the game for 55 minutes. Yeah. You know? We shut them out for 55 minutes. Our game plan gave us 16 points on turnovers, and they got nothing. Now, if the game would end it after 55 minutes, that's great. Unfortunately, none of these games this year, which USC's been leading you know, 11 out of the 12 in the second half, have ended short of 60 minutes. And unfortunately, every game that's gone 60 minutes, if you, now that you, know, you have the 60-minute games in, that's three more losses. Yeah. Uh, turn those three losses around, and uh, where is this USC team? Pretty good place. 
Unfortunately, that's not who this team is. So if you want a second, uh, it's not a second guess. I mean, I, I, you know, if somebody comes to me on Thursday and said, here's our game plan, you go, what? It's <laughs> uh, a joke. You're going to turn this game over to your defense? Hello? Yeah. Plus, who thought the defense was going to play well? I mean, the game plan that we were explained after the game, the philosophy of the game plan was the defense was playing well. Who would ever go into a game with this defense this year, which, if you listen to Lane explain how they couldn't even play man at the end because they ran out of defensive backs, how do you turn your, the Notre Dame game over to a defense that doesn't have enough players to play man? Uh, I'm sorry. I don't see it. I didn't see it. I don't know what we, I don't understand it right now. Uh, and it didn't make any sense. From, from listening I'm to him sorry. on the, the conference call, it, didn't, it sounded like he felt that the plan was good and the plan was solid. And for me, if the USC defense doesn't play maybe their best 55 minutes of the year, getting four turnovers and leading to every single USC point, the only touchdown being on a two-yard, four-play drive that USC had to, that barely got in. I mean, it, USC would have probably gotten blown out in this game if the defense didn't play you know, and make some of those big plays that they did. Yeah, it would. It, it, it had the potential to be another Oregon State game, except for the fact that Notre Dame is starting, you know, a, a rookie quarterback who has no. I mean, he he might be the you know, the least qualified quarterback that started in this Notre Dame USC series in decades. I mean, really? I mean, come on! I mean. <sighs> it's really strange. Uh, that nothing makes any sense. Nothing did make any sense, uh, and um, it still doesn't make any sense. I don't know what what's going on. I really, I truly don't. Um, to to only be able to gain eighty yards on the ground again, you know, against a team that Navy just absolutely knocked them off the field. You know, just ran right at them. A team that Tulsa, you know, they couldn't stop Tulsa. I mean. Very, 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 uh, you know, odd and strange and almost inexplicable how uh, how that USC team came out with no fire whatsoever the first half, none. No. You know, I mean, maybe the sad thing was they saw how few people were there to greet them on the senior, you know, heritage tunnel as they came out, which was extended all the way out onto the field like normal years, only maybe a third as many people showed up. I mean, a handful of former, you know, football players. And I guess that's what happens when you make it difficult for the parents to be around and you make it impossible for the old, uh, you know, football guys to be around. When you wanted them around last uh, Saturday night before the game, they weren't around. Yeah. That was really kind of embarrassing to have those kids uh, you know, have their send-off be that game, and, and maybe it's not a surprise that that was their third loss in six games at the Coliseum. Uh, you know, yeah, they had those bare ropes. Like, the, usually uh, you have... Uh, the number of losses Pete had. And, you know, I asked Lane again last night, too, if uh, do they have to revisit, you know, the fact that uh, they didn't make a big deal out of the Coliseum 
you know, this is our, our, you know, our building, our place. This is where we build the program around that Pete, you know, so smartly did and just made it another game because the kids played like it was another game. And I know people were, were, you know, and I, I, whatever you think about, uh, you know, the crowds this year, I think the crowds have been shockingly good. I mean, you know, on a Thanksgiving weekend after you just got blown out at Oregon State and uh, have 85,000 in the rain, uh, that's shocking. I, that's really good. I mean, that's more than, you know, that's more than they got at Notre Dame last year. I mean, you know, that's because Notre Dame doesn't hold that many. But for people to blast the uh, USC crowds, which some of, some people, you know, do, uh, I don't see it. Uh, I thought the crowds held up really quite well this year. And uh, I was, uh, you know, I think they don't deserve any uh, any criticism at all. No, I agree with you there, Dan. Um, yeah, it was, it was a shame to see those bare ropes where the seniors would run through. Normally you'd have all these alumni and people that could be down on the field filling that out, but this year there people aren't allowed on the field, so it, it really wasn't all that many people there. And um, no, I think they got to rethink that one. I, I, think, uh, I think that was a vicious uh, uh, a ruling by the NCAA. That was an evil. Uh, that was a nasty. That was a mean-spirited. That was a, uh, a ruling that he had no connection to anything. Uh, other schools were allowed to have people on the sidelines. Other schools were allowed to have people at practice. There wasn't a single hint of a problem at a USC practice or at the on the USC sidelines. And uh, for the NCAA, for Paul D, for the Yahoos and their enforcement staff that had anything to do with that, I think USC ought to identify them. I think they ought to go after them by name. I think they ought to embarrass them. That's ugly, mean-spirited, and, and, and the NCAA should have had no business doing that. And one of the reasons we were mentioned last week a little bit that Notre Dame's participation in that, and the you know, uh, you know, person of a deputy athletic director who was on the committee, uh, is I think embarrassing for Notre Dame. Notre Dame uh, should not have had no one associated with Notre Dame should have gone along with that. And um, I think Notre Dame owes USC an apology for having one of their athletic department people go along with all of those rulings. I think it's embarrassing uh, that uh, Notre Dame. Somebody at Notre Dame who was on that committee didn't have enough of what it took to say, wait, this is wrong. Letting kids transfer in you know, an unprecedented way just so they could play in a bowl game? What are we, who are we? You know, I thought, I thought you know, uh, a degree from USC might be more important than transferring someplace just on the hope you might get to go to a bowl game and get a you know, video game than a whatever. You know, I mean, I did I was... So there's so many things that have happened, I think, that USC is kind of, you know, just sort of taking it. Let's hope that is the right strategy. But uh, uh, but I do think uh, it hasn't thus far, publicly, with the people that you care about, it doesn't seem to be working. I mean, you know, even the, the parents are allowed to come to practice. But from what you hear from parents, the number of hoops they've had to jump through for all kinds of things, this year, uh, and to be told if you ask them something, uh, the compliance people, that, that maybe we need to not, we'd have to get an exception for that if we let you do that to a parent, 
and they'll tell the parent, maybe we won't do that because we're just trying to be really good little boys until our appeal goes through. I'm not sure that's the right way to go. I, I, I mean, I'm just not sure that you give up what was really good about this program and what had nothing to do with anything negative, what had nothing to do with any rules breaking, what had nothing to do with anything that was anything but really good for college football and for USC. I don't think you give that away uh, for no reason. And uh, I think USC has, and I think we saw it last night, and it's really probably more than we know caught up with this team and these players. If you're a senior, you've done nothing wrong at USC, and yet look at your senior day. You know, one very good, one very special. Not going to be something you can, you know, think back and remember to, and, and that's pretty sad. I agree, Dan. It is. Well, we want to get to a couple questions here as well about the team and uh, what's going on with this team going forward. Um, Guy, he's a friend of the show, wanted wanted me to ask you about the conditioning. He wanted to see get your opinion if there's a drop off in conditioning. Um, Aaron Osmus is the current strength and conditioning coach, and of course it was Chris Carlisle before. Um, he wanted to know what you think of you know are they? I know there's some differences in the way they conduct conditioning, but even specifically, he said that during the games, the old Carlisle crew was always very active. You would get they would get in players' faces, working with the players with great intensity, and it seems like the the current coaching staff, conditioning staff, are just kind of sitting back there watching the game. He had, he had asked Chris Carlo before what all that activity was, and he told him that he just would smile mysteriously and just, you know, kind of call it what it is. But it, in Guy's opinion, it sure seemed to make the games different when you had that kind of intensity from the strength staff. Maybe get, kind of get your thoughts on that. Well, I think it goes hand in hand with the coaching staff. I mean, I think there's a whole different attitude about the sideline. Uh, and so I don't think you see that at any level on the sideline. Uh, maybe Coach Baxter accepted, uh, you know, Coach Orgeron is Coach Orgeron, but I, I, I think there has been less activity uh, on the sideline at all levels. But he's absolutely, that's a very good observation. Uh, I don't think there was anywhere in the country where the strength and conditioning people were as much of a part of the game plan. But that was the whole whole game plan, the whole week. And the weekend, for example, and especially like on all the road trips where they you know, they started out with Coach Carlisle giving the uh you know, the uh history lesson, uh inspirational talk, uh you know at the walkthrough. Well, there's no more walkthroughs, you know, no more inspirational talks. Uh yeah, I think I think I think that needs to be revisited. I think the whole thing needs to be revisited. Um uh, if you looked at, you know, Coach Marv Goo, uh, his uh, whole inspirational, uh, you know, approach to, say, the Notre Dame game required that they go to Notre Dame Stadium and they find the spot where he'd gotten clipped and, you know, his career ended. And they built around that. I mean, I'm thinking of next year, I think a trip to Notre Dame where you don't go to Notre Dame Stadium on Friday is a almost wasted weekend. I mean, I think you have to go to Notre Dame Stadium on Friday before the game. You have to go onto that campus. This isn't the NFL. And uh, it would be a gigantic mistake not to go to Notre Dame Stadium next year and talk about what happened this year and what happened, what's happened there over a lot of years. And uh, 
you know, if, if for some reason you happened to drop me down into a staff meeting, you would hear someone expressing that point of view very strongly. But that's a very good observation. I don't think you can have too much help on the sidelines. And uh, I think uh, I think uh, the the strength and conditioning guys, you would like to see them be a part of, you know, the uh, <clears throat> encouragement. And, uh, and, and, you know, you work with those guys every day and you know what makes them go and you know what gets them going. And I don't think it'd be wrong at all to be able to get in their face and encourage them in ways in which, uh, you know, uh, that works with each one of them. Obviously, that's not the style right now. But I think uh, I think some of the things that have been lost in the transition are, uh, we have people who maybe are a little bit closer in their thinking to how they do it in the NFL, and they're working with kids who are a little bit closer to high school football than they are to NFL football. I mean, we hear people talk about guys that are going to leave and all that, and you look around and you say, who's ready, you know, in this team? Who's ready to be playing in the NFL the way, uh, way this team approached this year? I do think I'd like to see more of that, uh, you know, the, with Coach Carlisle. Now, does there also have to be more of a, you know, if you build them up, if you break all the weightlifting records and all that, do you still have to figure out ways, especially with with a very, very thin squad, to uh, extend their, you know, ability to endurance uh, during games and things like that? I mean, I think it's – I don't want to jump to conclusions too quickly about uh, – or are they conditioned enough or whatever? Because we've never seen a USC team with this few players. Uh, and so the balance is how hard do you practice uh, and, and save them for games? And, uh, you know, so how much can you, you know, you do every week? And then you've got them bigger and stronger a little bit. So you have to condition them in a different way so that they're able to support that weight. You know, they're stronger, but, you know, do you need to be uh, – also, uh, say you're bigger and stronger, but you need to play for 60 minutes as well. And what's that? Uh, what's that balance? Uh, I think we have to. You know, it wasn't perfect the way it was uh, at the end uh, uh, under the old regime, and it's certainly not perfect now. But it's a good observation. Yeah, I'd I'd like to see more people on that sideline uh, emotional. And uh, I think uh, you know it's. Uh, a learning experience of the head coach, you know, and he spends an awful lot of his time going over that play uh, play chart that's just uh, got a whole lot of stuff on it and a <laughs> lot of things to look about, a lot of things to think about. But there's an emotional component uh, to this game, and it certainly was missing last week. I mean, there's no question about it. It just wasn't there. These kids will play, and they'll play to the end, and they'll be still out there battling on the last play. Uh, you know, it didn't happen at Oregon State, but it did happen last, you know, the other night. Uh, but there was something really missing the first half, really, really missing. And uh, they put them in a hole, and, uh, you know, they they almost got out of the hole, but they couldn't make the stops at the end. Uh, and the thing about the, the not being able to stop at the end, and we can't get an answer exactly, is... Were they playing the same on defense in the final drive as they did the first drive, you know, in the third quarter? Because they came out and they took everything away from Notre Dame. They took the passing lanes away. They took the run game away. They took, uh, you know, they were rushing the quarterback. They were, 
Notre Dame had to play way faster than they could play, and they couldn't do it. Then, you know, you almost have the sense that, uh-oh, when this game gets tied, 13-13, when, when USC goes up 16-13, you started to think they're not playing as fast on defense. They're not putting Notre Dame under as much pressure. Are they in trouble now, now that they have, you know, the game tied or a lead? Is USC in trouble? It's like, you know, third and two, they're in good shape. Third and eight, uh-oh, the other team's got an advantage. It looked like that again. And is that the part you keep trying to get them to, you know, talk about it? Uh, is that what's causing them problems at the end of each half where they're trying to protect the entire field? And they give up the entire field as opposed to when they come back out, you know, 13 to 3 down to start the third quarter. You have to go after them. You got, you've got no choice. You got to go. You got to play fast. You got to be aggressive. You got to take chances. You got to do things. They always seem to play better in that mode than they do when they're conservatively protecting uh, the whole field. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, the, we are. We're going way long on time, but I had one okay. last thing I wanted to get to from Donald. We've had a lot of negative stuff. You had some positive comments. Maybe get your quick comments on this. Um, you know, there's a lot of people complaining. He understands and he had high hopes for himself, but he wants people to come off the ledge. Obviously, USC had a terrible offseason, and he still thinks the staff is doing a, a good job. There's a lot of depth issues and, you know, uh, undersignings and defections due to the sanctions. And he thinks that has a lot to do with the fatigue and stuff we talked about finishing halves. It's not every year that USC is going to be in the top 10, probably not for the next couple of years, but it could be worse. I mean, you look at Texas, they had a full staff, you know, a same staff and a full roster, and they went from a national championship game to no bowl. And uh, Florida's obviously, you know, going to the SEC, cha- SEC, cha- SEC championship game and then have the wheels fall off of their program. So he just wanted to try to keep things a little bit positive and thinks that USC coaches are doing a good good job under the circumstances. Uh, you know, I don't disagree with that. I thought they'd done a lot of good things really well and handled this, you know, really well. Uh, they seem to be handling the recruiting uh, really well. I think the wheels have come off the last uh, the last few weeks, and I I don't, uh, you know, know that they've made the absolute perfect choices uh, uh, in, in certain areas, but and I don't even agree with uh, with the question uh, premise that uh, going to be down for the next couple of years. I mean, I you know I thought they had a chance to have a really good year this year, and they're not that many plays away, uh, despite all the uh, you know negativity and all the uh, NCA stuff and all the you know depth problems and all that. They're still, you know. Again, what, three plays? Three plays away from three more wins? I mean, that, that doesn't go away with that horrible upset at Oregon State. There's still three plays away from three more wins, you know? I mean, that would be 10-2 and two right now, three plays. So you can say, okay, if it would have flipped around, you know, and, and, and the, uh, you know, games that probably look closer than they actually were. Uh, maybe they wouldn't have, you know. Maybe they were lucky to win those games, but I don't. I, I, re- I don't accept that. I think they're three plays away from winning three more games. I think next year they could be pretty good. I mean, I, I you know, I mean, who's going to be all that good next year? I think. Uh, I think we could expect. Uh, you know, look at the conference. Stanford and Oregon just aren't going to be that good next year. Uh, I think they get a. You know, um, they've got a pretty good schedule. Uh, I think. Uh, you know, they could have. An excellent team next year if they get lucky and people don't leave that 
that you think might leave or that have a chance to leave uh, and choose not to for whatever reason because of the kind of year they've had this year or because of uh, uh, the potential next year or uh, or the uh, what happened in the, what's happening in the NFL. But, no, I think they could have a good year next year. And I, I don't think this year sets up next year, uh, uh, you know, for any you – know, terrible failing now how it goes on in the future is going to be dependent on uh, you know what happens with the whole NCAA scholarship stuff and all that but uh, I wouldn't give up on next year I hope they learn from this year I just don't think if you're USC you can do things like go into games with conservative game plans and play not to lose I think that's not what USC is about it's not who they recruit it's not how they've tried to represent themselves I don't think it worked for Pete I don't think it's going to work for Lane. I think they've got to go for it and uh, just, you know, go out there and play. I mean, you know, we saw Oregon this year once try to go conservative, and they all, you know, they almost blew the cow game. But I just don't think for teams that, you know, kind of have a style and have a way of doing it, I don't know that the message to kids, maybe you can do it in the NFL, where you say, we're pulling in our horns this week, guys. We're not going to go for it. We're just going to, we're better than these guys, and we just got to make sure we don't lose this thing. I don't think you can coach that way. That would be my judgment. I think uh, if we only use Saturday's game as an example, I think uh, I win that argument because I just don't think, over the years, conservative game plans, playing not to lose, has probably not done uh, USC any favors. All right, Dan. Well, we appreciate it. I know we went a little long in the segment. We still got to talk to Gerard for a little bit of recruiting stuff, but we appreciate your time, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, Ryan. See ya. All right. Take take care, Dan. Everyone else, back in 30 seconds, we'll get some recruiting information from Gerard Martinez. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. Going a little long on this podcast, but we're, we need to get some recruiting in. we got to talk recruiting, obviously. It's getting to be that time of season, especially with only one game left. Lots of recruiting talk leading up to signing day and beyond in February. But we want to get on. Gerard Martinez, uscfootball.com, National Recruiting Analyst. What's up, Gerard? Rod doing good, uh, just as you said. Now it starts to get fun. Now it starts to really get interesting with uh, the season ending. There's a long lull before you really get to the offseason next year, which is unique for USC because usually they're going to a bowl game and they don't have the whole month of December to recruit. And with this coaching staff being as aggressive as they are and being as good as they are at recruiting, it's going to be really, really interesting to see how this all shakes out. I mean, you add in the scholarship question of how many scholarships they have to offer and how many guys they want to take in this class. Obviously, I think the way they're recruiting, it looks like they're going to take a very big class, maybe more than 25 into the 30s. 
very intriguing. It's very intriguing. It would be intriguing, you know, under the circumstances with the old coaching staff. This coaching staff makes it even more intriguing because when you got Ed Erdogan out there and uh, all he has to do is basically, you know, he has uh, too much to recruit, uh, it's, it's going to be something that uh, I think it's, it's going to be a very, very interesting story with a lot of subplots and a lot of drama all the way up until signing day. All right. Well, let's get to – we had a question. We actually had a question from the last segment. Uh, Brian I wanted to give Brian an apology. He, he gave me this really uh, it's kind of like a chart of where he thinks the defense is going to line up next year, and it's kind of a too deep on the defense. We really didn't have time to get to it. We had so much going on. But, Brian, we'll try to talk about that next week. If you want to send something in again, we'll definitely look at it. And then uh, our recruiting question, Gerard, Justin in Irish country, wanted to know. He said he heard Gerard mention several times how important it is for USC to take back California. Is this not a priority for the USC coaching staff this year? And can we get an update on Devon Blackman? Well, taking back is a little bit, uh, I wouldn't use that phrase because USC has been pretty dominant in California. Now, obviously, being a national recruiting power and being as successful as they've been with Pete Carroll, they're able to kind of reach out and go national. And I think Lane wants to continue to have a presence nationally. He wants to be able to go into Florida. He wants to be able to cherry pick. But I think what really, in my opinion, needs to be a focus is definitely projecting more of the three-star guys, the two-star guys. Guys are completely off the radar in California and really picking up on those guys more than they've done in the past. And I think it's going to be really important because with the sanctions and honestly you haven't had a good season this year you, you lost to Notre Dame for the first time since 2001 that kind of loss in addition with losing to Washington if that's a consistent thing over the years here because of the sanctions or whatever reasons there are for, for, for losing more games in you know two three games in a year which is something that I think a lot of people that have followed USC in the last decade are not accustomed to necessarily you're going to have to really recruit well. And recruiting, and I've always talked about this, it's a two-step process. It's a process of evaluation, but then it's a process of salesmanship. And you have to be able to do both. And I think the evaluation part of it is exceedingly important now. And with that, you have to be able to go into places and find players where maybe not everybody's looking. And I think they're doing that, and I think they're doing a good job of that, of getting football players, getting guys that can come in and contribute at some level and not necessarily putting all your eggs in the baskets of, well, we need a four-star, we need a five-star, because he's the best player in the country. Well, he may be the best player in the country, but is he going to be the best player for your system? And I think that's really the most important part. So when you go out and you get a guy like Cody Temple, 6'3", 280, 285-pound uh, defensive tackle guard, he's going to come to USC and play center or guard. Three-star guy, off the radar, but I think that's a great pick because this is a kid, blue-collar, can come in, can work hard. He's not going to have that attitude that, hey, you know, I'm a four- or five-star guy. I should play right away. There's none of that with those type of players. Charles Brooks, another guy who's 6'1", 230 pounds, a tweener, plays defensive end, could play a little linebacker. He might end up being a fullback. USC really needs a fullback. USC, if they want to continue to run a pro-style offense, and I think that really separates them right now. And I think that's still, in my opinion, the best offense for USC to run, for Miami to run. I know a lot of people are getting caught up with the gimmick offenses with Oregon and, and Auburn and running the shotgun, and I had this long conversation with Brian Grimmel 
who writes for the U.S. Uh, the uh, uh, AOL fans, uh, fan house uh, for uh, for AOL, and we kind of talked a little bit about offenses and, and some of the things that are going on and the difference between the pro style offense and the difference between college offenses, and you know. I don't want to go on a tirade here, but, you know, Oregon and Auburn, I think those offenses are really, really good right now, and they're really proficient. But once they start losing coaches, once the Oregon staff starts to lose assistant coaches, once, you know, Gus Malzahn moves on or he becomes a head coach and he has coaches underneath him that begin to go to other coaching staffs, those playbooks get around. And then you have to look at what the back end of this thing is. Once the playbook gets around, like it has from Florida, then where is your offense? Now all of a sudden you're surprised and your secret and, and all those little things are revealed. How successful is your offense? Can you continually get the players talent-wise to fit that scheme every year to be dominant? As we've seen with Florida, they've fallen on their face offensively. They're terrible this year. And all of a sudden you know, you're kind of looking at it and going, okay, is it just more of a gimmicky type offense? When you look at Alabama, you know, Nick Saban's been around, and he's maintained a lot of success, and that's a pro-style offense. The same thing with Pete Carroll at USC, Butch Davis at Miami. You know, Larry Coker came in after Butch Davis, and they still maintained a good level of success. So I think the pro-style offense, even though people can kind of start to understand it a little more and, and you see other teams pick it up and you lose coaches, it seems like for prolonged success – that really, especially if you have a great talent in your local area, in your own backyard, you're able to go to, I think that's probably the best way to go and, and, and really where USC wants to continue to be. So to make a long story short, going back to the question of do they need to keep California you know, kids home, do they need to be able to project? Yes, they need to be able to project those type players. And a guy like Charles Brooks that comes in and in a blue-collar, physical, aggressive player, a bully on the football field. Man, bring him in as a fullback and have him knock some heads. I think that was one of the things with Simi Vahakite, bringing him in, the last staff going in to uh, – to, 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 he's from Hawaii, um, Oahu. I think he's uh, from Kapanui High School. This is a kid who's just a nasty – just go out there, smash you in, kid. And a lot of people go, well, you know, maybe he could play linebacker, maybe he can linebacker. You know, USC needs him to play fullback. They need Soma Vanuku to come in in December and play fullback because we've seen with this team right now, Stanley Vili is a great hybrid type running back fullback. A guy who's a great receiver. He can run the ball a little bit, but he's not the best isolation blocker out of the I formation. And that is what they lack and they've lacked for a number of years, really, at USC. I think you go back to when they were really successful running the ball, and you had guys like Lee Webb. Those are guys who were just fullback types. And I think USC, and we talked about this last year, when they were recruiting Soma and when they were also recruiting Simi Van uh, Vakite, you know, Simi was definitely that guy who was a pure type blocker, a guy that you weren't necessarily going to want to throw the ball a lot to or necessarily have him run the ball. He was a physical presence blocking, lead blocking for the running game. And I think if USC is going to have post-style offense, they've got to have maybe both, or they, at the very least they've got to have a guy that can lead block out of there. So I think um, when you're looking at those role-type players, you can get all enamored with all these guys that are five-star guys and, and uh, you know, guys that can run the ball and all this stuff and try to make them into fullbacks later, a la Allen Bradford or a la, you know, even Stanley Havili himself. Those guys may not have the mentality that they want to fit that specific role of just being a guy that can go out and block and blow people up and get that middle linebacker out of the A-gap. So I think that's really more important. It's, it's about USC 
projecting guys in California and going after those two, three-star guys that maybe people don't look at as being big-time players, but they fit a role at USC perfectly. All right. And then uh, one last thing, Gerard, just get an update on what was going on with the recruiting visits. There are some guys officially visiting USC, some linemen, some big guys, and obviously USC could use some help in the trenches there. Yeah, and you don't sound very excited about that, Ryan. I know they're not bringing in all the quarterbacks and the receivers <laughs> that you like to watch and everything, but, man, they brought in some big uglies. They brought in uh, four junior college prospects this weekend, um, and three guys from Yuma, Arizona, Western Community College, and one of those guys being someone that the USC coaching staff is very familiar with, Aaron Douglas, uh, 6'6", 280-pound offensive tackle. He played at Tennessee and actually was a starter as a freshman, was all-freshman SEC team um, at tackle for Tennessee. And when Lane Kiffin and the coaching staff decided that they wanted to go to USC, Aaron Douglas decided he was going to transfer out of Tennessee. So he was an interesting kid, came in. We have not heard from him yet, um, but a lot of people think USC is going to be pretty high on his list. Uh, He came out with his teammates, Corian Chambers, who's another really big boy. He's about 6'6", 330, and really looked the part. I mean, looked really good. I thought he might be a little sloppy uh, watching tape. I wasn't sure, you know, if he was just a big kid uh, that didn't necessarily carry it well, but he did. He looks to me a little more like a guard prospect. USC has given him the chance to come in and play tackle if he wants to. Most schools are, but to me, physically, he still looks a little more like a guard and uh, a good-looking prospect, though. Physically, he was pretty impressive. And they also brought in another Western uh, prospect in Isaiah Wiley, who's about six foot, six foot one corner, um, committed to Arkansas right now. And so it'll be interesting to see if he maintains his commitment to Arkansas. He's been a real hard guy to track down as well. Uh, but the three kids from uh, Yuma, uh, Arizona, they also brought in Sylvester Williams, 6'3", 310 defensive tackle from Coffeyville, Kansas. And uh, he's a kid that just recently got a scholarship offer from USC um, a couple weeks ago. So he got the scholarship offer, decided he wanted to turn in and uh, come in for an official visit. And uh, he talked about it. He said he really liked it. It seems like Joe Casey – what happens with that situation at the three technique, one shade. If he comes back, it might be a little harder to get Sylvester Williams. Um, if he doesn't come back and he goes to the NFL, sounds like Sylvester Williams is pretty excited about USC. So we'll see how that goes. He's also looking at North Carolina, Ole Miss, and Oklahoma State. And last but not least, they had one uh, high school official visitor uh, come in last weekend, and that was Ryan Wiki. He's a 6'5", 275-pound offensive tackle from Glendale, Arizona, and uh, he, he gave the visit a 10 out of 10. Despite the rain, despite the loss, despite a lot of things working against USC this weekend, uh, he said it was, uh, it, was a, it was a great visit. You know, there was no question about it. It was a 10 out of 10. So we'll see how it goes with uh, these linemen. USC definitely needs them next year. All right, Gerard. Well, thank you. And I I think this might be our longest podcast on record, but sorry, it was the uh, shorter segment. We're going to get to talk to you quite a bit more going forward when the the games run out, no more bowl practices and stuff like that. It's going to be wall-to-wall recruiting. We're looking forward to it. Definitely. It'll be wild. All right. As always, a wild, wild finish for USC recruiting, I'm sure. All right. Thank you very much for tuning into the podcast. Thank you. Harvey Hyde, Dan Weber, and, of course, Gerard Martinez in our new time slot on Monday. So we'll keep doing that, at least for the foreseeable future. We'll let you know if we're going to change that up. Hopefully it works okay. If you have any feedback, you can always email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. Thank you very much for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week.
You've been listening to the Pear Style Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on parastylepodcast.com or search for Parastyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Thank you.